Leave Daniel's problems to Daniel. <laughs> John chapter 1 and verse 35 through uh, 42. We're going to read this, or this evening. And my desire here is, Lord willing, that we'll make it through the 12 disciples and also uh, the Apostle Paul. And I want to, if it seems more of a teaching format, my desire is to connect Scripture with church history to bring us a full understanding about what happened to the apostles. Where were the apostles? What did they achieve while they were in service for the Lord? John chapter 1, verse number 35. And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed him. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto him, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is, the, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He findeth first he findeth, he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening to lift up your word, Lord, as we continue to endeavor to study your word, to, to get a picture of these men who you called by name into service. Lord, may we not only see what their ministry was, but may we be moved by it, compelled by it, um, to, uh, to model ourselves after them as they followed you. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Not long ago, the Chicago Bulls, they produced a documentary. Now, if you don't like basketball, hang in there. But the Chicago Bulls produced a documentary called The Story Behind the Chicago Bulls Dynasty. Uh, there was a few spinoffs off, off of that series or off of that documentary called The Last Dance, where they interviewed all of the different players. I didn't watch the documentary. But a couple weeks ago, I was intrigued by an interview that they had done with Scottie Pippen. For those who don't know, Scottie Pippen was a, a ball player on the Bulls team during this time. And when he was asked to comment about this documentary, he said he was extremely disappointed because they made the documentary really all about Michael Jordan. He said, we was out there as a team. We won as a team. We played as a team, but they only set out to focus their eyes upon 
Michael Jordan. His emphasis is that we did it together. This is really the basis of ministry. This is not about being exalted or what place you're in. This is about doing ministry together. It's not about being in the front place. It's, it's about being in the place that God has placed you. You know, the mentality of the world is to say that, and I don't even want to say the mentality of the world, the mentality of many times in the church is that they, they want to be in the limelight. You know, the first thing that happens in Bible college, when you're in Bible college, I don't know how many times I've heard this, or even young preachers, you know, they want to be the next John MacArthur. They want to be the next John Piper. They want to be the next Billy Graham, and on and on and on it goes. This is not a new problem, though. Matter of fact, when you read Luke chapter 22, we're accounted of the time where the Lord rebuked the disciples as they were arguing back and forth to whom would be the greatest among them. Even furthermore, James and John would seek to have their mother petition the Lord that if one could be on the right and one could be on the left. It is in our sinful nature to always have this desire to be pushed out in front, to be in the light, to, to be praised. But this evening, the first apostle we're going to look at is the apostle Andrew, a man who was satisfied with being in the shadows. He was satisfied with being in service to the Lord. That was enough for him. He was just happy to serve the Lord. He had a reputation. Matter of fact, he's only mentioned 12 times in all of Scripture. Actually, he's mentioned in 12 verses in a total of 13 times because in one of the verses his name was mentioned twice. Most of the time when his name was mentioned in Scripture, it wasn't mentioned alone, but he was mentioned that he was Simon Peter's brother. But if you understand this in comparison to how many times Peter's name was mentioned in the New Testament, it was some 133 or 135 times, way more than that of Andrew. But Andrew was okay with that. Andrew was satisfied with that. He was never mentioned, Andrew was never mentioned in all of Scripture in a negative manner directed at him. He was a fisherman by trade, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. Him and his brother Peter were fishermen. They owned boats, and apparently, I guess, depending on which commentator or how you interpret it, it seems to be that they were men of some means. In regards that scripture mentions that they not only had a place there in Galilee, but they also had a home in Capernaum. But even more, it goes on to say about James that we can understand that James and John from, or James and John and Peter and Andrew, these four men really developed the inner circle. But from our understanding that Andrew and his brother Peter and James and John, it seems to be that they had probably grown up together. They were fishermen together prior to Christ calling them. They were in the same trade. They grew up in the same place. And because of John chapter 1's account, we understand that even prior to Andrew 
and John becoming apostles that they knew each other as disciples of John the Baptist. So they were already seeking the Lord prior to them seeing the Lord. Our first introduction comes here in John chapter 1 and verse 35, as he says in the text that there stood by John two of his disciples. This is speaking, there stood by John the Baptist, two of his disciples, speaking of the Apostle John, what would be the Apostle John and what would be the Apostle Andrew. These were men who were wholeheartedly seeking after the Lord. They, they wanted to know when the Messiah would come. They longed to see him. They longed to hear God's word. Andrew was a man who longed for the Lord. He had, though we don't fully understand why, Scripture points out to us here that for some reason, and I believe it was a desire to see the Lord, that Andrew and John had such a desire to see the Lord and hear of the Lord and hear John the Baptist preach that they had apparently left their brother Peter and James to the fishing business and followed over to the wilderness to where John the Baptist was preaching. This is where this text takes an account here. In verse number 36, and he says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, this is the day after John had already made his original announcement in verse number 29, which is what we're more familiar with. John, uh, John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is the day after John had made this announcement. Maybe this was the announcement that drew Andrew and John to come and see that they heard that the Messiah had arrived. So this was the next day. And then the next day he said, uh, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. Now, it's hard to fully understand how overwhelming this would have been in Andrew's ears. I mean, really, you would have had to insert yourself, give yourself the Jewish mentality, the Jewish uh, history, the heritage, to fully take in as Andrew would have heard this announcement, behold, the Lamb of God. According to verse number 29, uh, John the Baptist announced, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But the next day when this happened, uh, this, was, this was really a landslide to Andrew's ears. This was the Messiah. This was the Lamb of God. Take a drink here. They began to probably think, if you was Jewish, you would probably would have been began to think about Abraham. That day that Abraham was there on the mountain with Isaac, and Isaac said to his father, Dad, I, I see the altar, Dad, I, I see the wood, but uh, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Son, God will provide 
a sacrifice. Maybe their hearts would have ran to the moment that they have been practicing the Passover and they understood that this lamb would have to be sacrificed and this lamb would be sacrificed and they would put the blood upon the doorpost. Maybe Andrew's heart ran there. Maybe his heart ran to Isaiah when he said he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he Open not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, a sheep before the shearers, and open not his mouth. How this probably apprehended them. How it probably grabbed them that this was the long-awaited Messiah, and yet he's being called the Lamb of God. How this probably gripped Andrew, but when Andrew, from the very first moment he laid eyes on Jesus, from that very moment he would follow him. Certainly this is what John would have wanted in verse number 37. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. He wanted to go wherever the Lord was. He would even go on to say in verse number 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, saith unto them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? This was the characteristic of Andrew. Wherever the Lord was going to be, that's where he wanted to be. From the very moment he laid his eyes upon Christ, he left everything behind and wholeheartedly followed after him. The characteristic of Andrew was wherever Jesus dwelt, he wanted to dwell there. But even Morris told us, uh, not only was Andrew one of the, Andrew the first disciple really to follow after Christ, but Andrew, when he took in this excitement of seeing the Messiah, when he took in seeing the long-awaited Messiah, he could not keep it to himself, nor did he want to keep it to himself. Look at verses 40 and 41. And one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Now this would be, every time you'll see Andrew mentioned throughout the New Testament, this is the common thread of Andrew after he met Christ. In this excitement of finding out that they have met the Messiah before he could even Go there. He first went and got Simon and brought Simon saying, we have found the Messiah. Every time after this, when you read about Andrew, save maybe one time where Andrew was asking the Lord about his return. Every time after that, when we see Andrew, he is taking people one by one to Christ. He says here, and I kind of wonder about this. And I guess you could see this in the aspect of, we know our family. Let me just paint it in this portrait. If a situation occurs for us, prior to us telling specific family members, we already know how they would act because we know their character. We know how they behave. If this doesn't speak 
of Andrew's humility, certainly he knew Peter's character. Peter was the guy he would always steal the show. Peter would talk even when he didn't have the right things to say. He was always the dominant one out in the forefront. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. Peter always took the lead. But even though Andrew knew that's how his brother Peter was, that he, he, Andrew probably reasoned in his own mind that he probably would not even get a word to speak at the table as they talked to the Lord because he knew how Peter was. And yet his number one concern was still getting his brother to Jesus. Even more about Andrew here in verse number 37. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. They followed wholeheartedly after the Lord. But none of this mattered to him. As long as he got his brother to Jesus, uh, they would meet Christ, but they would not yet become the Lord's apostles. This meeting right here, if you go on to read in Matthew chapter 4, this is the initial meeting where Simon and Andrew would, or, or Peter, well, Simon, Peter, and Andrew would meet the Lord. But when you go on in Matthew chapter 4, we account of the time where Simon, Peter, and Andrew were down by the Sea of Galilee, and God would, or the Lord would call them into ministry as the apostles. This is prior to that. But really, this is the highlight of Andrew's life. Andrew will soon vanish away from Scripture, but not from service. But this would be his mode of ministry, operating away from the public eye, collecting one by one and bringing them to Christ. And it started on the very first day he seen Christ. He went and got the person whom he loved most in the world. He went and got the person whom he most wanted to hear about Jesus. He went and got his brother. He could not wait to share the news. He, he brought him to Christ. Never do we ever read in Scripture about Andrew having resentment in his heart or, or about being bitter. He never preached to thousands. He never preached on Pentecost. Matter of fact, after Acts chapter 1, Andrew disappears from the scene and we never read about him again in Scripture. But Andrew saw the value of getting one soul to Christ. When we see Andrew again later on in scriptures, it was at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It seemed that the other disciples were lost for words about how they could ever feed the 5,000. But Andrew uh, finds this little lad that has five loaves and two fishes, and Andrew, believing that God could do much with little. Andrew believed that God could do much with insignificant things, it seems. I mean, what is five loaves and two fishes in comparison to 5,000 people who are hungry? But yet Andrew believed that God could do much with little. And here we read in scriptures about 
Andrew bringing this little lad to Jesus. And we know after that, the Lord would do his great miracle. Again, we see in John chapter 12, when we read about Andrew, these Greeks would come down. These were Gentile people. They would come down and approach Philip and say, Philip, we, we want to speak to Jesus. Philip would not take the Gentiles to Jesus, but he instead went and got Andrew. Now, Scripture doesn't make clear to us why Philip would go and get Andrew instead of just taking these Greeks to Jesus. But I believe in my heart is the reason that Philip took him to Andrew is because Andrew was a known by the apostles, by a man who took people straight to Jesus. Even more, uh, even more, Andrew knew the value of one individual soul. That ministry is not about standing in the pulpit and about heralding the gospel. It's not about the glamour of the public eye. It's not about crusades. It's not about taking thousands to church. It's about getting one person at a time to your Jesus. It's about one person at a time, let me take you to Christ. This is the ministry of Andrew. This is how Andrew ministered for the Lord. It was the words of Henry Varley that struck the heart of D.L. Moody. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. In Andrew's eye, that is exactly who it was. It was not about what Andrew brought to the table on the dynamic level of Peter or James or John, but it was about surrendering all that he did have to the Lord. It's not about our audience. It's about the one who is in front of us right now. That's the heart of Andrew. And not to be better than Peter, but to be who he was for Christ. In speaking of uh, D.L. Moody, I copied from Edward Kimball's journal for us this evening. For those who don't know, uh, Edward Kimball was the one who led D.L. Moody to Christ. Edward Kimball wrote this. I decided to speak to Moody today about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton Shoe Store when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go during business hours. But then I thought, if I did that, I may embarrass the boy. That when I would walk away from him, that when I would walk away from him, that the other clerks might ask who I am and begin to taunt the boy and ask him if I was attempting to make something good out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed right by the store without even noticing it. Then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and it at once have it over with. I found him wrapping and shelving shoes. I began to speak with limping words. I cannot even remember what I did say. I said something about Christ and his love. That was all. I must admit, it was an absolutely weak appeal. 
But then and there, the Lord saved Dwight Moody. Moody would go on and lead, many say, millions to Christ. He would go on to lead C.T. Studd to Christ. He would go on to lead Wilbur Chapman to Christ. He would go on to found the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, which would be a, a school that even still today that sent out thousands of missionaries, that sent out thousands of preachers. And it's all because Edward Kimball believed in the same model of ministry as Andrew. One person at a time. Kimball didn't need a pulpit. He didn't need a stage. He simply moved in absolute surrender to the Lord for the person who the Lord had put upon his heart. And by the way, all because of the heart of Andrew, all because Andrew was not craving to be forefront in the audience, all because Andrew was not craving for a pulpit. The truth is that on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and thousands of souls were saved, that was all because Andrew had a heart for one person at a time. Because Peter was the first fruit of Andrew's labor in bringing people to Christ. And we see this outpouring of what Moody's Institute has done, the outpouring of one man who followed after the model of Andrew's ministry. He labored humbly, dedicated. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Andrew was one of those rare people who were willing to take second place to be in the place of support. <clears throat> he did not mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. So we ask ourselves then, what happened to Andrew? Acts chapter 1, he disappears from the scene. We don't read anything else about him in Scripture. Well, church history fills in the gap for us. According to church history, Andrew would travel some 2,095 miles. Now, if you've been watching TV at all, you'll be familiar with this place. Russia, Ukraine, Kiev. That is how far Andrew traveled, preaching the gospel. Now, to even further show you how much of an impact Andrew had with this one-by-one one ministry that he had, not that I agree with this kind of a movement, but Andrew is the patron saint of Russia and Ukraine. They're, they have churches built all through Kiev and Russia called St. Andrew's Church remembering about this journey that he made all the way there, preaching the gospel message one by one. He did not quit. He continued on. Matter of fact, he continued to preach the gospel so much that he find, found himself, and remember, during this time, Russia and Ukraine was a part of Rome. They was under Roman control. 
But he would continue to preach the gospel until one day he would lead a Roman province leader. He would lead his wife to Christ. After he led his wife to Christ, the Roman province leader was filled with anger and demanded that his wife would recant. When his wife would not recant, the Roman leader became so angry that he crucified Andrew. Now he wanted Andrew to agonize in this crucifixion. So when they crucified him, they did not crucify him on the cross. They crucified him on this X. They would not drive nails into him, into his hands or feet, but they would instead tie him to the ropes or tie him to the wood. Eusebius, who was a, a Roman, um, I guess you would say he was a, a Roman uh, historian during this time, he would write that for the next three days, anyone who passed by Andrew, breath by breath, he would cry out one by one, calling for all to turn to Christ. Andrew died the exact way he started, one by one, pointing people to Christ. When Russia would hear this portion of Russia in this time during the Roman province, would hear the news that Andrew had been crucified, they made Andrew's cross their naval flag. And did you know that even still today, Andrew's cross is Russia's naval flag? He was a man who was committed to serve the Lord. Listen, he never wrote a book in the New Testament, never preached on Pentecost, never was exalted, and so to say, never was in the forefront. Matter of fact, though he was in the inner circle of the four, he oftentimes was left out at key moments in Scripture. It was Peter, James, and John. No reading of Andrew. But though he wasn't in the limelight, he never quit serving the Lord. He was happy with humble service. That's ministry according to Andrew. This is where we have to get to. We have to be happy with just humble service. Whatever it is that you'll have me to Lord, do, Lord, I'll do it. If no one praises me, if no one exalts me, if no one lifts me up, if I'm not in the in crowd, it does not matter because I'm serving you. Satisfied. It should be the testimony even of ourselves that day by day, since the day we've met Christ, that we have been striving to bring people to Christ. Roman history says that it was on this day in southern Greece, on November 30th, that Andrew would be crucified. When you think about this moment here, you're really just taken back. But really, when you think about it, I mean, 
when you get to Revelations chapter 21, Andrew's name, though we don't see it in scriptures, Andrew's name will, will be a name that we see for all of eternity. The Bible says in Romans chapter 21, or no, Revelations chapter 21, when John seen the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, he said that the new Jerusalem had 12 foundations upon it. And upon each of the 12 foundations was written the names of the apostles of the Lamb. The foundations there for all of eternity, we will be able to look and see the name Andrew, a man who labored one by one, bringing people to Christ from the moment he seen Christ to the very moment of his death. His gasping breath was calling people to turn to Jesus. It's humble, challenging, breathtaking, that even in death, he never took his eyes off Christ. May that be the challenge of our hearts as we continue forward, that even this week pondering upon this, one of the least known apostles in Scripture, but his impact is still having effects today. I don't want to be known on earth. I love to be known in heaven in the aspect that I've led people to Christ. But in the meantime, whether we cannot control whether souls are saved or not, I am challenged by the ministry of Andrew, who uh, was a man of simple means, no pride, but day by day called for people to turn to Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what you've done, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, that challenges us, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, continue to bless the study that we're doing on these apostles, Lord. I pray that you'll continue to open our eyes to the truths in your word about their ministries and how each of them were different, yet each of them were mightily used. And may it bring to us the understanding that each and every one of us are different in ministry, yet each and every one of us serve a purpose for you. You have designed us differently. You've called us differently, yet we're all called to the same ministry, maybe just on different platforms. We give thanks to you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.